Would you please turn with me uh, to your outline area, where at least you can make some notes there on page four. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you're joining us, as well as our friends in Montana at the Hangar, and also in Arco, Idaho, at the uh, Community Church there. We are so glad that you're joining us here uh, for our study as well. And uh, the title of our myth this morning is that circumstances determine our joy. The myth that if our circumstances are going well, that's the key to our happiness or joy. And if they're not going so well, then it's impossible to be happy or joyful or have peace in the middle of that storm. And I don't think there's a better couple to debunk that myth than Jay and Catherine Wolf. They, they just exemplify this principle within God's word that our joy comes not from our circumstances, but from our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, one little ed- extra commercial for the Hallelujah party and how God uses us in such an amazing way is that their first contact, Catherine's first contact with our church, they were a part of our church for about a year and a half, and they'll explain that when they were at Casa Kalina for rehab, and their first contact, her first contact was through the hallelujah party, and so God uses that hallelujah party in just an unbelievable way, and, uh, and so just encourage you that God can use you uh, through that vehicle uh, as well on, on Friday night. So, as we, uh, we want to give them a warm uh, PFP welcome, a Purpose Church welcome, we're going to watch a two-minute video clip, and then they're going to come on up and share. So would you welcome Jay and Catherine Wolf with us right now. Thanks so much. Wow. So good to be back with you all. As Pastor Glenn sort of alluded to, we uh, have a history with this church many years ago, really during probably the darkest time of our lives, God intersected us with you. And we'll never know probably the 
the full impact that had until we get to ask the Lord himself one day. But thank you for giving us just what we needed, which was Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all we really, uh, any of us need. Uh, but God allows us as his body to, to be sort of the hands and feet, the flesh and bone manifestation of himself to other people. And it you really, guys were that to it's us. Weird. It, it's wild. It's very surreal for us because having gone to Costa Colina and become a part of this church six years ago into such a different state than we are now, we were still kind of just shell-shocked and... I mean, it was very intense. I mean, as you'll hear in our story, it was a very dark, sad time. And yet we came and we're so blessed to be a part of this place. It's just amazing. And it blesses us to this day. And as uh, we'll share a little bit of our story with you this morning, we, we want you to know we're really always so grateful to be able to remember what God has done in our own lives. And we hope that sort of sparks remembrance of what God has done in your life. Because when we look back on how God's hand has been pushing us, carrying us, holding us through the many different chapters and seasons, it gives us confidence, it gives us trust, and it gives us hope in the future that he's going to keep doing what he says he's going to do in our lives. So that no matter what circumstances might look like, because we all know, we we might walk out of this uh, sanctuary today and our life change forever. And yet we can do so, we can walk out into the unknown with hope because we know what he's already done. Mm -hmm. We know that he has good things for us. And, um, you know, today we kind of get to remember, yeah, we we sort of, like the Israelites, tend to forget. (laughs) Even those of us who have had real moments where God has really done some miraculous things in our lives, which is is our case, we forget. And we have fear that he's not going to do it again for some reason. And yet, uh, in the telling of our story, we get to remember. And that's really what church is about, right? We get to tell each other the story together. We get to remind each other. And uh, we, we love sort of Ebenezer's. You know that in First Samuel where they would stack the stones to remind them that thus far God had brought them. And um, we even sort of in our ministry, Hope Heals, we, we have a lot of things with anchors because they really embody that we are anchored forever in Christ. Exactly. The anchor's always above the water in every place that we have an anchor in our ministry because we're anchored in heaven, not on earth. And our anchoring is secure in him, not in anything happening in our present circumstances, which is so cool that we can help debunk that myth for y'all because it is true. I'm... um, Living that out, showcasing it, if you will, very clearly. I'm severely handicapped. You may have noticed I can't walk very well. I'm in a wheelchair. My face is paralyzed. I can't see very well. I have terrible double vision. There's y'all. There's y'all. My, I, I'm deaf in one ear. My whole hand doesn't work at all. And I mean, I have a lot of physical brokenness happening. But who doesn't have major brokenness happening? It's probably just not on the outside of their body. And that's actually just the strange joy that I get to sort of live that out loud. And I get to demonstrate that, I think it's 1 Corinthians twelve nine idea, that his power is made perfect in weakness. And it's actually really the strange 
just amazing honor to, to showcase and present this microcosm, if you will, of just really a lot of issues and really not okay. And there's such freedom in that for us all. I, um, I would challenge you all as you listen to us share our story to not listen with the ears of that's a super dramatic testimony of what happened to this couple and wow. I mean, please, please hear that with perspective that yes, it should encourage your faith. But more than that, enter into it and see your own story in our story because our story is your story and it's always a part of his story. So don't hear this as removed, but really... This is it. You may not have issues walking, but I doubt you feel free all the time. I, you may not have a paralyzed face, and yet I bet you have some issues with your appearance. You may not have messed up use of a hand and yet, or a handicapped body or a whole lot of problems, and yet I bet you feel inadequate especially perhaps if your parents, in terms of how you care for your child. So we're not that different. And I think it's so cool to enter into it as a part of our story. We're going to start our story today where many great stories start, which is at a wedding. And um, Catherine and I married 10 years ago, which is crazy. We're actually only 32, but we look a lot older because of all the hard living, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. But we married fresh out of college. We're both Southerners, so we met um, in college at Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, we graduated in 04, and we married that fall. It was a beautiful day in Athens, Georgia. Kind of felt like a California day, which you get maybe one of those a year in Georgia. So it was pretty special, and then God was smiling down on us that day. But um, my dad, who is a pastor, performed the wedding ceremony, and... um, we always say, thank goodness there was a DVD, because I don't know what happened that day. I really haven't. <laughs> it was a blur, a beautiful blur. But um, we looked back and remembered that my dad had shared a message that he said he doesn't normally share at weddings, but he felt sort of led to share from Matthew 7, um, which is the parable where Christ asked, what kind of foundation are you going to build your lives and your house on? Is it going to be on the rock, or is it going to be on the sand? Because when the storms of life come, The house that's built on the sand will surely fall, but the house that's built on the rock will be able to withstand any storm. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer wedding message, right? You're like, where's the love chapter? This is, um, I wasn't expecting this. I know. I bet, I bet you, Pastor Glenn, haven't done that at many weddings. Pastor Glenn, do not use Matthew 7 in your weddings. I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was actually very fitting because the storms of life do come and they come to us all, not, you know, if they come, but when they come. And for us, just three and a half years after our wedding day, the great storm of our life would come. And that question, you know, what had we founded our life upon was going to come to the surface in a huge way. And Catherine and I left uh, that wedding day and moved to Los Angeles to pursue some adventures and some dreams. I was going to Pepperdine Law School, and then Catherine was pursuing um, some opportunities in the entertainment industry. And it was a 
fantastic life that God had given us. And it was clearly the Lord that brought us to California. So I'd be at UCLA where a surgeon there would save my life. But of course, we knew none of that at the time. We were just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and out for an adventure to move to the foreign country that is California from Georgia. <laughs> so we moved. And um, we, we had a wonderful little time pre-stroke, we were living in Malibu on the beach, and it was a married housing dorm at Pepperdine, but it was the beach nonetheless, so we we had a beach cottage, kind of. It was an apartment and married housing, but still. <laughs> and as my grandmother always says happens, sometimes when you're married, we got pregnant unexpectedly and had a sweet baby James nine months later. And life was great and wonderful with my sweet little baby boy in tow. And I celebrated six months and five days of just joy. I'm enjoying being a young mommy with a sweet little baby at home before my stroke. And one important sort of detail of our early time in L.A. was that we took my dad's advice, kind of rolled our eyes when he was telling us, you know, you need to get plugged into a church when you go to L.A., and uh, we thought, you know, we're 22. We know everything we need to know, Dad. Just stop telling us what we need. <laughs> Thank God we listened to our parents. I'm just going to say, kids, listen to your parents. They know what they're talking about, uh, especially in this regard, because we invested our lives in the body of Christ, which is not something maybe that's really told to many people <laughs> these days, this inestimable value of the body of Christ, of giving yourself to it in a sacrificial way. And when we needed that community to come around us in our time of greatest need, it was there. But it was there because we gave ourselves to it first, because we plugged our lives into it. And so our church, Bel Air Prez, uh, is also a big part of our story. Absolutely. So the... So basically, the day of the stroke, April 21st, 2008, was just a normal morning, and I felt funny and decided that I'd pack up James in the car and we'd go get a pregnancy test and just see if maybe I'm pregnant again or what. I didn't know what could be up with my body. I just felt yucky and came back, took the test. It was negative. I began preparing a meal in my kitchen, and I felt my hands and knees, and my legs went numb, and my arms went numb, and I started throwing up, and I began to think something's really wrong. I'm going to have to call 911 or something. I don't even know how I'll get to the phone. I can't even crawl. I'm just laying here. It's awful. And an angel walks through the door. He had procrastinated and was finishing a paper for a final class in law school. So he says, procrastination saved my life. <laughs> and, and he um, was able to call 911. They came. Paramedics quickly determined there was something very wrong with me. And they wheeled me out of our married housing dorm in the stretcher. And I lost consciousness then and would not regain consciousness for over two months. So I took a nap, I like to say, for two months and um, came to in a fully different reality, thinking only a couple hours, maybe a day had passed. And um, Catherine left that first home that we had had as a married couple, that home we brought our son back to from the hospital when he was born, and she would never return there again, and she would never see that place. And um, 
sometimes sort of God shuts the door on seasons of our lives uh, more quickly than we think he will. And uh, we were at you know, the stage where we had f- a huge future ahead of us. I was about to graduate law school. We had a, this precious new baby. And yet, uh, in the course of just a few minutes, our life, in the course of it, changed forever. And as I talk about April 21st, you might think of a date in your mind when the same happened to you, when things changed forever, when you got that phone call or that diagnosis. And, and that feeling, that feeling of losing control at least the control we think we have on our lives and that desire to go back to how things used to be, but knowing you never can. And uh, I remember that moment as Catherine was rushed to the ambulance, uh, in the ambulance to the hospital, I grabbed our, our baby. He was asleep in the other room and I packed a little overnight bag. I figured we'd be back, you know, by the next day. And uh, I grabbed James and we rushed down the hill to UCLA hospital um, again, we believe really one of the reasons God drew our hearts to LA was to be close to that hospital, which is so crazy just to think about the way God is just orchestrating all of these things together for good and all of these things together for part of his purpose and his story for our lives. And thankfully, a, a very brave and sort of a renegade neurosurgeon named Dr. Nestor Gonzalez was on call that day at UCLA. And when Catherine entered the ER, they found that her brain was suffering a massive amount of bleeding in it, and the pressure was making her brain herniate down into her spine. And he said, I need you to know that um, what she's experiencing right now, this massive brainstem stroke, um, is probably not survivable, and that your 26-year-old wife, new mom, full of life and energy, uh, may not live to the end of this day if we even try to do the surgery on her. Um, and so, you know, you, and you have those moments that your head is just spinning, where there's such a reversal with your life, you don't even know what happened. And I remember looking around the waiting room, and I saw my church body. And my friends from our church that we had given ourselves to, that we had led and poured our lives into, were there when we needed them. You know, and I, I can't necessarily say the same for the acting friends or the, you know the law school friends, but the body of Christ has always been something different than the world. And we show up and we, we manifest the very presence of the invisible God in the moments when others need him. And my church body was that to me. They left whatever they were doing in the middle of their day on a Monday at noon and came to be with me at the hospital, not to tell me that it was going to be okay. They came to just cry with me and to help me and to bring me something to eat and to pray with me. And that night, the surgery that Catherine was taken into, which was supposed to be maybe eight hours, uh, blended into 12 hours. And about 100 of our friends gathered, and we had church that night in the waiting room. And it was a holy place because we were pleading the Lord for Catherine's life. And we were reading from the word of Romans in the eighth chapter, mostly in the book of Job, and just begging the Lord to show himself in the midst of this tragedy. And we laughed and we sang, and, and it was an amazing time to minister to the other people, frankly, who were sitting in the, the waiting room themselves. But um, that next morning, the sun rose, and it was April 22nd that next day. And the doctor came out just exhausted, and he said, she lived. She lived. And yet we don't know what the deficits will be in her life. She might be vegetative or paralyzed, but she lived. And 
Again, the hopeless circumstance of that moment was overwhelmed by the hope that is in Christ and this knowledge that he was going to work something good in our lives, even if we couldn't see it in that moment. So after that survival, they moved me to ICU, where I would stay on life support in ICU. Very treacherous time, touch and go. They thought I would die over and over. But I stayed there for 40 days, and then, which we feel like is very biblically significant. I stayed there 40 days, and then downgraded to the acute rehab, which was a different phase of the hospital. I'd stay there for another two and a half months, which is when I kind of came to, woke up, and then they moved me right here to Casa Kalina, which is the brain rehab that I would stay in for another year and a half, which is how we came to be a purpose now. I, um, I can tell you it was all very dark and horrible. I can't sugarcoat it. It was like your worst nightmare. You wake up and suddenly other people have to take care of your son and you slowly realize you aren't even feeding him anymore and they hold up a mirror and your face is paralyzed and now you're handicapped and at that point I couldn't even eat food so I had a tube that they fed me through for 11 months and when they finally moved me to the brain rehab it was just horrible in every way. If you need perspective on why your life is not that bad, check out your local brain rehab. It will provide you some insights into what it means to live without cognitive abilities or just to live in a really dark, deep, sad place. While I was at Casa Kalina, three people died around me, like in my little therapy groups. They died. I had people who were angry, people who didn't know their name anymore, and it was a really sad season. I have to tell you, this church was the bright spot for sure. Um, everybody always asked me if I ever despaired, if there was ever a moment of true, like, I give up in the whole two years of just total hell. And I, can I say that to church? I hope so. It, it was. It was a living hell, absolutely. Some words are appropriate. And um, I, I don't think I ever fully gave up. I mean, I'm not trying to be here if I did, actually. So I never fully gave up. But I do recall a memory uh, back in November of 2008 after I'd failed the swallowing test and it was my ninth one to fail and I'd returned to the house we were living on on Bonita Avenue and I um, saw my sister-in-laws who were in town playing with my son and I just remember connecting. I can't do that. I can't interact with him. I can't even eat. I just failed my ninth test. I can't really move because I'm so handicapped. Nothing works. I can remember thinking God made a mistake. I should have died because I'm caught between life and death and this isn't right. This can't be what God intended for me. This just can't be. I'm in this terrible just holding pattern that I'm not dead, but I'm not alive either. And I remember thinking, God messed up. 
And thankfully, thankfully, in that moment of real, like, let that sink in, I was just consumed by something that I know was supernatural, but it was this sense, it's hard to articulate in words, this deep sense that, Catherine, you know already the truth. You've known the truth, the scripture, my word, my heart, since you were a little girl. I had received Christ at age four and walked with him my whole life. So now, Catherine, this is God talking, don't forget in the dark what you know is true in the light. So like, use that now, like apply that. And what I knew was Romans 8, 28. And I knew it like the back of my hand that all things work together for the good of love of the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I knew Psalm 139 that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I was knit together in my mother's womb, which is where the AVM that ruptured actually was. I knew 1 Peter 5, 10 that after you suffer a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to eternal glory in Christ will himself strengthen, establish, confirm, and restore you. I knew deep in my soul that Hebrews 12.1 idea that you can persevere even when the bottom falls out in your life. And that's all of us. We can persevere. And I did. I kept getting better and better and better, and I ate again. I passed the swallowing test finally after 11 months. I walked again after 18 months of no walking fully in a wheelchair and endless rehab. I did everything, but nothing was or is perfect today, and I'm not really worried about that. I am healed. I know that's kind of radical to say to you because I may not look like it, but I'm fully healed. Nothing is missing. When I get to heaven, I will be restored. I'll have a new body. But on earth, the Lord healed the really broken place, which was my soul. I was sad. My feelings were hurt. How could this happen? But I've healed. And I have scars. We talked about this last night, those of you who were there, ladies. I have scars. But scars are beautiful. Scars mean you survived. <laughs> scars are great. So I got scars, but I survived. I, I'm healed. Amen. The, the epilogue, kind of the end of our ongoing story is this. After we left this neck of the woods and you beautiful people, we moved back to L.A., we had been in hospitals and rehabs for two years. So one day you go from being in your kitchen with your life all laid out to then a little detour for two years to try to just get back to doing normal things again. And we had had so much of a longing to be back home to our church, to our friends, to just some sense of normalcy. And so we finally got back home. And yet it was the same uh, but we were really different. And so home wasn't even home again. And the Lord has invited us to continue to redefine 
all of these things that motivate us in our lives, not by what the world defines them as, but defining them in him, so that our home is in him, our hope is in him. And if it's in anything else, it's, it's not going to stand up to the weight of that longing and that expectation that we all have, that God-filled, that sort of God-shaped hole we all have. If we put anything else in it, it will be crushed. The only thing that fits is God himself. Mm-hmm. And we continue to learn that hard lesson that there's no real quota on our suffering. <laughs> you know, you'd like to think you kind of check off the suffering box on your bucket list after you go through something really hard. And that you can go maybe on the, the next one down to the vacation uh, and to, you know, just the next wonderful things on your list. But that's not the world we live in. One day we won't need these lists because we'll be face-to-face with Christ and all will be well. And we'll experience true wholeness and restoration. But until then, we're going to continue to have to focus our eyes and our trust on our deliverer rather than whether or not he delivers us from certain circumstances. Because we don't know what's next. And even for Catherine, uh, who's been through a lot in her life, we found out uh, just about six months after we came back home to L.A. that she had another issue in her brain, an aneurysm, on the good side of her brain. And blessedly, the same surgeon that helped her during her first stroke at UCLA helped remove that aneurysm this past uh, fall. But we continue (laughs) to be invited into this faith journey with the Lord. And he continues to say, I'm really more interested in your relationship with me as your deliverer than whether or not I deliver you. And that's the message today. When we talk about circumstances, guys, we don't know what our circumstances will be. We can't manipulate those. We cannot control them as much as we think we can. But we can control who we turn to and who we trust in the midst of any circumstance. And that is the Lord. Absolutely. I I wanted to add to that, that the checking the box on the credit of suffering, I think it's so powerful to say that I've had 11 surgeries since my stroke, that he sat in the waiting room a lot of times post-stroke and had to wait to hear that I was okay, actually. The aneurysm surgery that I had last fall, just a little under a year ago now, it was very dangerous. It was very, very serious. Some of you, in fact, may have tuned in online to pray for me. They created a big movement to pray. And I came out great. Here I am. But, um, I mean, we've had some intense stuff. And that's part of life on earth, I think, is that there is hard, intense stuff. And you never get to check the box. And you're always, what do they say, you're in it, you're through it and going back into it, or I forget the expression. You've heard it. You're always in the midst of something bad because it's a fallen, broken world. But there are moments of great joy, and that's the story I want to close with today with y'all. Is um, And don't show the last slide yet because that's my big reveal. Cameras do there. Yes, okay. So don't show it yet. Way back when I was in acute rehab, um, the social worker on the floor where I was told Jay's dad, Big Jay, that 
he should get his son out of the picture. That Jay needs a break from this nightmare. Under 30-year-olds divorce 90% of the time. There's no way they can stay married. His life's going to fall apart. They're going to get divorced. It's going to be awful. It's just way too much stress of medical bills and insurance companies and your wife's in the hospital. Just all of it. Too much. You have a baby, etc. So Big J comes to my J and says, son, we got we to go on vacation. Let's head up to Yosemite and see some natural beauty. We're in California. You got to get out, get some fresh air. Let's go up to Yosemite. And Jay says, and I've heard this, I wasn't there, that I'll go on vacation when Catherine can go with me. I'll wait and go on that trip when Catherine and James and my family are able to also go. I'm not leaving her. She doesn't get a break from this. She doesn't get to go on up to Yosemite and see and clear her head. So I'm not going either, Dad. So Big Jay goes back to the social worker and says, um, I don't think this is the problem. I think it's okay. He's going to stay right here with her, but thank you very much. And the, the subtext was, they radically walk with Jesus. It's not an issue, but thank you. And um, Okay, now the big reveal. Picture. Yay! There we are. <laughs> Thank you. So, so that, that's us at Yosemite. We got to go um, last May, and it was the three of us there, and that wasn't supposed to be. I have really fought my fleshly self to send a season's greeting card to that social worker and say, with, with that picture on it, and say, season's greetings. <laughs> I haven't done that. But anyway, we got to go to Yosemite, and it was, it was a moment of joy. We'll never forget it, and that's the key. It's a moment of joy, and that's um, we're celebrating and treasuring, championing. And I think today, remembering those moments where we see the, the hand of God at work is the thing that gives us that Hebrews 12 perseverance. Absolutely. Remember that joy that is set before you as Christ did. And that helps us persevere no matter what's next. So we challenge you today to think back on your own life and your own story and the hurts and the hopes that have been woven throughout it. And to see where God has orchestrated the story of your life to bring you to where you are today to go out in the knowledge that he is going to continue to faithfully bring you all the way home to him. And this thought that I love is that one day, guys, we won't need to hope anymore. One day the very deepest longing of our heart will not even be necessary anymore because we'll be face-to-face with hope in Jesus Christ. But until that day comes, we get to remember, we get to tell each other the story, and we get to be people of hope in a hopeless world overflowing with hope. So I want to close with that. Romans fifteen thirteen, a great verse. I would take it to heart. It's our prayer for you that you can overflow with hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all.
Or do we, do we go down or what do we do? Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Thank y'all. Oh, oh, yeah. Could you have a seat for just a moment and then we'll close? And Jay and Catherine are going to go back to the lobby. And so when we're dismissed, uh, if you'd like to talk to them by their table and any information, there's a 22-minute version of this that I know you're going to want to share with your family and friends. And don't go to the one that's at the bottom of the program, that CatherineWolf.info, but instead simply go to Hope Heals. That's the one that you go to, Hope Heals, and that'll get you all the information you need. But before we close, um, would everybody turn with me to page five? Their biography was on page four. But then page five, the upper left-hand corner. You know, sitting there thinking, listening to their story this morning, that life is hard enough with Jesus. How does anybody do it without him? And you're not meant to do it without him. And the story of Jan Catherine Wolfe is only possible because of the hope found in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, or if you're watching online, or if you're in Idaho or Montana, or listening to this on podcast or online at a later date, uh, you're not listening to this by accident. This story is meant to lead to a conclusion, I want this same Jesus. I want that hope. And so I want to give you a chance to have that in your life uh, right now. It says the steps to being a follower of Jesus. First of all, you admit your condition before God. God, I need a Savior. I need you. I need forgiveness. And recognize that Jesus is that hope. He's that solution uh, to my sin condition, to my broken condition in life. And then number three, choose to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And I want to pray this prayer now, and I invite you to pray it silently and open your heart to the hope of Jesus Christ and so that he will be in your heart, in your life, and walk with you through whatever is ahead, be that good or bad, in the days ahead until we're with him in eternity for he- in heaven. So let's pray together. Would you pray silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life and for the hope that you give me right here, right now, in this life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, got a gift that we'd love to give to you from our church, a series of gifts, like a packet of gifts, either at the south end of the lobby at the guest center or the north end of the lobby at the guest center. It's a, it's a packet of helps for you in your relationship with Jesus. No cost, no obligation, no pressure. If you'd like to talk to somebody, there's there that you can talk to somebody there. But if you'd rather not, just pick up your packet as you leave as a gift from our church to you as you start this new walk with Jesus. And then if you'd like prayer for anything, maybe 
it's really resonated with you. There's a physical situation in your life or an emotional one or a relational one or a spiritual one or a financial one. Our prayer partners, our prayer team is in our prayer room right off the downstairs of the worship center here, right over here. Uh, they would love to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you. Please just spend an extra couple minutes going into the prayer room and they'd love to pray with you, whatever that need. You can say it's an unspoken request. That's fine as well. Uh, so God bless you. Uh, let's just close with that verse that Catherine and Jay shared, uh, Romans 15, verse 13. Let's stand together for our benediction, and let's, uh, let's pray this uh, out loud together, okay? Romans 15, verse 13. Together, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.